All right. Welcome, everybody, to the last installment of our marriage series. I'm so glad that you're here with us today. I'm Gabrielle Oldfield, and I approve this message. <laughs> and with that out of the way, now I can move forward. Now I can move forward. Hey, I want to, last night, I taught this message last night, and it's something that God put heavy on my heart. And when I got home, I was telling my wife, you know, I just felt awkward, because it's, it's awkward to talk about yourself and your experiences for one, but it's also awkward to just lay yourself out there. All the dirty laundry, all the ugliness that's gone on in your life, to just lay it out and be that transparent. But the Lord kept reminding me, as he reminded me while I was writing this message, that's what drew you to this church. When I first came to this church, what drew me the most to Jubilee was the fact that Pastor John and all the other teachers were so upfront and were so transparent. I went, wow, a church where they just lay themselves out there is, that's a place I can get involved in. In fact, Pastor John says, if you want to impress somebody, tell them about your successes. But if you want to impact somebody, tell them about your failures. And so what I'm going to do tonight is spend a lot of time talking to you about my failures, the places where things haven't gone quite so right in my life. So um, if I'm going to talk about marriage, if I'm going to talk to you, sit up here and tell you how marriage should go or God's plan for a marriage, I think it's important to talk to you about my credentials, wouldn't you say? You want to know the credentials of who's giving you a message. So, so here are my credentials as far as marriage goes. Um, I have approximately 20 years marriage experience, okay? My lovely wife, Gabrielle, sitting up in front here, has about 23 years marriage experience. So you say, how does that work? Well, we are just about getting ready to celebrate our 10th anniversary, our 10th anniversary of marriage. And so the way that works is my first marriage lasted about 10 years, her first marriage lasted about 13 years before they ended. And not that it matters, but neither one was our choice. It was sort of thrust upon us. But um, the bottom line is that divorce is far, far too prevalent. There's too much divorce that goes on. And making a lot of noise there. Far too much divorce. And I want to let you know, if you're here and you're married then this message is specifically for you. But if you're sitting here and you're single or you've been through a divorce or you're, maybe you're young and you go, marriage is just a long time off in the future, I wanna let you know that this, marriage has, this, mes this message has something for you too. This message, I hope, will help you lay the groundwork for a successful marriage when and if that day comes. It's important truths to know and that's why I'm just gonna lay out the truth to you and then let the Holy Spirit do what it would in your hearts. Okay, so I want to start out, we talk about, about divorce being so prevalent in our society, but I have a couple statistics that I want to read from you. I've got a few statistics in my message today, so bear with me. I don't like to just quote statistics, but they really apply, and I think they really help to bring the point home. So the overall divorce rate. Now, this is according to the Center for Disease Control, okay, U.S. governmental agency, Center for Disease Control. The overall divorce rate among Christians, non-Christians, all different religions, all different denominations, um, 
every race, everybody, overall divorce rate is over 50%. It's over 50% of marriages end in divorce. Now that's, again, that's just overall encompassing everybody. I think it's interesting to note that even a governmental agency considers divorce to be a disease. To me, that's very, very, very telling that they would consider it a disease. And listen to this. In America, there's one divorce every 13 seconds. That's just in our country, every 13 seconds. That's 6,646 divorces a week, a day, I'm sorry. And over 46,000 divorces a month. 46,000. That's, to me, that blows me away. And I start thinking, of those 46,000, okay, of those, we just take that small snapshot, those 46,000 divorces that happen in that time frame. How many of those couples do you think were in love to start with? All of them, right? Probably. Okay, I'll throw out that there might have been a few shotgun weddings. Maybe not so much in this part of the country, but other parts of the country, they have a little bit of that. There might have been a few arranged marriages. There might have been a few, uh, I was in Las Vegas and I have no idea what happened, marriages. So I'll throw out that maybe it's not 100%, but most of them, most of them were in love when they started. There's a great philosopher who says this, love is a dream and marriage is the alarm clock. (laughs) Okay, maybe it's not a great philosopher, I don't know philosopher of some kind. But love isn't enough. It's not enough just to be in love. Most of those marriages were in love, deeply in love. I do a lot of weddings and I love doing weddings. And one of the things I love the most about doing a wedding is just to be a part of a day where two people are so in love that that's all they can think about. They can't wait to see each other on the altar. They can't wait for it to be over so that they can head off into their lives together. They are so in love, and it's an amazing thing to be a part of. But here's the problem. Love, as an emotion, can be such a roller coaster. It can be up one day, It can be great one day when your spouse is doing everything they're supposed to do and you get the love letters and you get the flowers and they do, they fix you breakfast and everything is just so nice. Love can be just way up here and you're like, wow, that's all we need is love. But then they forget your anniversary or they forget your birthday or whatever it is. They forget to take out the trash. They say or do something stupid. Not that that ever happens to you guys. I'm more talking about myself now. But love without the Spirit, love without the Holy Spirit to accompany it can be manipulated so easy. It can go up and down. And the person that wants to manipulate it is the enemy of your soul. So you talk about marriages. Let me tell you a little bit about how my first one went. For sake of argument, we'll call mine the wrong way to do things. I didn't have a relationship with God at the time. I knew who he was. I grew up, you would categorize me, I suppose, as a Lutheran. Went to church a couple times a year. Guess which two times a year that was that I went to church. But didn't really see the need for God in my life. 
didn't really see why it was such an issue, why everybody made such a big deal about it. In fact, the couple times that I tried as an adult to get hooked up with a church, basically what happened is the place I happened to be reaffirmed my belief that it's got nothing for me. Church really doesn't hold anything for me. So I walked away. I didn't make the separation between a relationship with Christ and a relationship with a church. To me, at that time, it was they were one and the same. And every time I tried, I said, oh yeah, that's what church is like. That's why I don't like church. <clears throat> so, in fact, I was so unimpressed with Christianity so didn't see the need for it that I actually, although I would have categorized myself as a believer, I actually married an atheist. I married a woman who said, not only don't I care, I actually actively believe that there isn't such a thing. And it didn't bother me. Just being honest with you. Didn't see it why it was an issue. That's how mine went. Now, the other thing that we did is based on all the well-meaning wisdom of people that we talked to, based on our own worldly experiences at the time. I was 20 years old when it happened, or I guess it was a little older than that, but anyway, we won't go there. People told us, well, here's how you can do, here's how you can be sure that your marriage is gonna last longer. Here's how you can get all that stuff out of the way to make sure you're compatible. What you do is you live together. Just go ahead and live together that way you find out each other's strong points, each other's weak points. You find out whether they leave the toilet seat up or down. You find out whether they leave crumbs on the counter. You find out all those things that are deal breakers ahead of time. And so if you do decide to get married, then there's, then there's not gonna be a divorce because you've already known what each other's weaknesses are. You've already known the faults and you've decided then I, I can live with that. Let me share another statistic with you. Again, I told you there'd be some statistics. So, so here's another one. This is again from that CDC data. 68%, 68% of unions formed in the study period, which was 1997 to 2001 for this study, began as a cohabitation rather than a marriage. 68% that began as a cohabitation rather than a marriage failed. Overall divorce rate, 50 plus percent. Overall divorce rate of people who started out living together, 68%. 68% living together is not only not a shield against divorce, it actually hurts you in the long run and it's not God's way. So. That's my kind of backstory. Now here's Gabrielle's way that she did it. We'll call that, for the sake of argument, the right way. She had a little bit more of a relationship with God. She would pray to God all the time. She knew who he was. She felt like she had God's present in her, presence in her life, although I think she would tell you that it wasn't anywhere near as deep as, as she knows now that she would have wished it would have been. But he was a part of her life. Wasn't a churchgoer. Her parents weren't churchgoers, so she really wasn't a churchgoer other than maybe again once or twice a year. Um, didn't really see the need for that because she had an internal relationship with Christ. She was able to pray and hear from him, and it was great. She married a man who was a Christian, a Catholic, as a matter of fact, and who professed himself to be an old school, traditional Catholic. Okay? That's what he said. They didn't live together, 
they did it what you would call the right way. And yet after 13 years, it still ended in divorce. It still ended in divorce. So why is that? You know, in reality, my first marriage wasn't horrible. Every minute of my first marriage wasn't horrible. I wouldn't tell you that it was. We had good times. We we took vacations. We loved each other. The same with Gabe's. I had three children. She had one. There were a lot of good times. It wasn't all just horrible. There were a lot of good times. But it wasn't right. There was always something that wasn't as deep as it should have been. There was always something that was more of a struggle than it should have been. It just wasn't right. Now there are two ways to do things, just about anything that you do. You can do things the godly way or the holy way, or you can do them the fleshly or the worldly way. Fleshly and the worldly way leads to sin every time. But basically, anything that you do in life, you have those two choices. Am I gonna do this the godly way? Or am I gonna do this the fleshly way? By doing the best we could, and we did the best that we could. Again, there were good times. It wasn't all horrible. But by doing the best we could, we left ourselves out there vulnerable to anything that the enemy wanted to throw at us. Any scheme that he had, any trick that he wanted to pull on us, anything he wanted to toss our way, we were vulnerable to it because we had no defense. Listen to this. This is Paul writing in his letter to the Galatians. This is Galatians 5, verses 19 and 20. It says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division. Does that sound like a recipe for a successful marriage? How about, does that sound at all like a marriage you know? Not yours, I'm not not yours by any means, somebody that you know of. It doesn't. That is a recipe for failure. And that is exactly what will happen when we do things in our flesh. That's exactly what will happen when we do things the best that we think we should do without involving God. But fortunately, God's got a design for us going all the way back to Genesis where God actually laid out what a marriage looks like. This is what a marriage is. And there's tons of scripture in the Bible that talk about this is what a godly marriage should be. There's tons of them. And when I was studying for this and when I was writing down my notes, oh, that's cool, I'm gonna talk about that. Uh, That's even cooler, I'm gonna talk about that. And I was bouncing all over the place and here's a couple scriptures that I stuck on that just jumped out to me. Some of them are gonna be familiar to you. In fact, both of them probably will. First one, Mark 10, verses six through nine. says, but at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, you've probably all heard this in marriage ceremonies. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. 
Now this is the part I want you to get. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. That's God's plan. What God has joined together, let no one separate. Not you, not your spouse, not your mother-in-law, not the enemy of your soul. No one. And then the second one, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. So God's design for a marriage is prosperity, hope, a future, happiness, life that no one can tear apart. That's God's plan. That was his design. That's what he wants for you if you're married. That's what he wants for your future spouse if you're not married. And if you're single right now, and you're thinking someday in the future, I'd like to get married, I want you to know this. Right now, while God is preparing you and preparing your heart for marriage, at the same time, he knows who your spouse is gonna be. He knows who he's gonna bring to you, and he is preparing his or her heart for you. Isn't that cool? Takes all the pressure off of trying to rush things because God will put the two of you together when you're ready. Wait for that. That's so cool that that's God's plan. But guess who else has a plan for how things should go in a marriage? The enemy of your soul, Satan, the devil. He's got a plan for your marriage too. And he's got a plan for your life. And it is exactly the opposite of what your God has for you. Here's the enemy's design. Here's just a couple scriptures that pull that out. This is John 10, 10, second half of it. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. 1 Peter 5, 8 then goes along and says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Wow. Wow. Your enemy, the devil, is prowling around looking for ways that he can get a foothold in your marriage so that he can steal it, so that he can destroy it and devour it. Is that a pretty picture? That's not what I want. God's got a plan to help us stand against that, and I'm gonna tell you what that is. But before I get there, I want to just let you know that what God had intended as a blessing for myself and for Gabe in our first marriages, the enemy was able to, with free reign, to come in to lie to us, to deceive us, and to steal it from us. So now, fast forward several years. The divorces are over, we're both single. And God brings me an angel. He brought me the most amazing woman that I have ever met, that I've ever known in my life. Which, yesterday, I got the opportunity to sit and watch her graduate with a Bachelor's of Science with honors in business and project management. I knew she was the one 
when during our first date, I was all awkward. I didn't know how to date anymore. And we're sitting there over a hamburger and we're talking. And I'm starting to throw out lines from my favorite movie, which at the time and maybe still is Tommy Boy. How many people have heard of Tommy Boy? I'm throwing out all these stupid lines from Tommy Boy. And I'm going, man, I'm so below in this, but I have nothing, I have nothing else to say. I don't know what to go, so I'm just going to do this. This is how you know it's a God thing. Years later, we're married. She looks back and she goes, you know what? That night when you were doing that, that's when I knew that you were the one. <laughs> now, if I were to write a book on dating advice, that would not be in there. Okay, so I don't want anybody writing that down going, okay, note to self, here's how to handle a first date. It worked in my case because God was in it. I know that he was. He brought her to me. Now, we had both learned so much from our first marriages. And we had both learned a lot in between in that time where we were both single. We learned to be independent. We learned what we would and would not accept in a future mate. We learned the worldly way to do things. We learned from our mistakes we learned what was important to us and what we could live without. We learned all this from books. We learned it from the well-meaning of advice from friends who just seemingly came out of the woodwork and said, oh yeah, I knew things weren't going right in your first marriage. Here's what you should have done. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Appreciate the help now. We both learned a lot of things from a lot of sources. And in fact, I think, if I'm not mistaken, it's in the book of Oprah, chapter two, verse four, that says something along the lines of, get wisdom anywhere you can. Get wisdom from any and all sources. Get wisdom from magazines, from television shows, from, from romance novels. I think that's what it says. Something, I'm paraphrasing, but it says something like that. The world is full of advice. The world is full of ways where they'll tell you this is what your marriage should look like. And if your marriage doesn't look like this, well then you need to start looking for one that's gonna be like this. That's gonna be full of excitement. It's gonna be full of romance. It's gonna be full of, of your, your skin's just gonna tingle all the time every minute that you're together. That's what TV shows, romance novels, magazines, that's what that kind of wisdom will tell you. What does King Solomon say about our own wisdom and about learning? On Proverbs 3, verses five and six, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all that you do, and he will show you which path to take. He will show you. Seek his will in everything. How many of us just seek his will in the big ticket things? Okay, my marriage is struggling. I don't know what to say. My spouse is mad at me. Okay, what should I do? Oh, I'll go ahead and pray now. Guys, prayer is not like the, in case of emergency, break glass that's on the wall and you just keep it there, and you take the hammer and you bust the glass when you're having an emergency. Oh, let me get some prayer on me and help me through this. Go to him in everything, and he will guide your steps. He will guide every minute of every day if you let him. 
Because doing it our own way sometimes was good. Sometimes it was good enough. It was good enough to last 10 years, in my case, 13 in hers. It was good enough for a while. But it wasn't God's way. Our marriage wasn't blessed. We didn't have a blessed marriage until we turned it over to him and did it his way. We struggled a lot in our first year. Now, all that learning that we had done, all that wisdom we had gained on how to do a marriage right, because our first ones didn't work, these are the ways that I'm going to make sure my next one works. All that learning, and we still struggled a lot. There were so many times during our first year or so that I found myself driving around going, this this isn't going to work. I'm done with it. Same with Gabe. There were plenty of times, at times it was more often than not, where neither one of us were sure that it was going to make it. And this was our second marriage. This was the one that, that we were going to do right. I had swore that I was going to do it right. But I was still living by my old patterns. I was still living in my old wisdom. There were times, so the number one thing that caused strife between the two of us was finances. Because her first marriage, her husband had basically ruined their finances without going too far into it. And so she was super sensitive to that. And I knew that. My first marriage, that was one of the biggest reasons too, but in the other direction. But I had very little knowledge about finances. I said, you know, I'll, I'll just do the best I can to do things right. Well, so even with that, knowing that that was her number one issue, knowing that that was something I struggled with and I was going to learn to do it right, there were still plenty of times where I would get home and she'd go, you know, honey, we need to talk about the budget. And just the sound of the word budget would set me off. Oh, you're trying to control me. You're trying to control things. That's what doing things in your own understanding gets you. That's what living in your old pattern gets you. I was going to, I spent hours at this point right now going, wow, it's kind of at a, at a heavy point in the message. So I'm going to tell a really funny joke, a really funny anecdote about one of those funny times that we had where we were at each other's throats and we were arguing about something and, and I'm just going to, I'm going to make everybody laugh and lighten up the thing. But here's the problem though. I couldn't because when it's real, it's not funny. I started thinking about some of those things and really going over them and going, yeah, remember that time when, man, my chest started to get so tight, it was hard to breathe, just going back. When it's you and you're going through that, it's not funny. It hurts. So insert your own mental joke there if you want to lighten things up just a little bit because I couldn't come up with one. You know what, though? Ultimately, it is good because God is good. God has a plan for what a godly marriage should look like. And he gives us, he gives us the defense. This is Galatians chapter five, verses 16 and 17. It says this. It says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil which is just the opposite 
of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. You are not free to carry out your good intentions. Good intentions are not enough. Good head knowledge of what you're supposed to do is not enough. Church, you will lose the battle for your marriage if you do it on your own. You'll lose it. Now that's how things went on our own. That's how things went, doing things in our own understanding. Now, let me tell you what God did. He never stops pursuing us. God never gives up trying to get you back to the place that is right where he intends you to be. He never stops trying to get you to a place of blessing, which was his design for us. When we stray off of that and we're hurting, church, it grieves him. It grieves him when we're hurting, especially when we're hurting because we're not following his plan. He's got a plan. His plan, in this case, was to use the one thing that neither one of us could say no to. Okay, so we were married. Both nominally Christians didn't really see a need for church. Not connected. Marriage struggling. Marriage struggling. So one day, out of the blue, Gabe's daughter comes to us. I think she's in third grade at the time comes to us and said, guys, I want to get baptized. I want to get baptized. We hadn't been sending her to vacation Bible school. She hadn't been going to church with us. She had never been to church with us at that point. I don't think we'd been to church as a couple at that point. Um, She comes to us and says, I want to get baptized. And we're like, where? Okay, that's cool. But where does that come from? Well, I don't know. There's, I heard some girls at school talking about it and it's just really something I want to do. We're like, well, okay, well, do you know what it means? Do you know what to be baptized means? And she goes, yeah, it means I'm giving my heart to Jesus. I went, oh, okay, Gabe, I think we better find a church if we're going to do this. So we started a search trying to find a church that would be what we wanted it to be. We visited a few churches, and we found Jubilee. We found this church. We found a church where the very first day that we were there, the very first service, I just felt a joy like I had never felt in a church before. Pastor John was up on stage, he was preaching, and he was so transparent. To this day, I can remember the exact Harley Davidson t-shirt that he was wearing (laughs) up on stage. And I said to myself, wow, that's a guy I can listen to. That's a guy I can trust, because not only did he look like somebody that was not taking himself too seriously, but he was laying out there some, some dirty laundry, some stuff that I had never heard in church before, and immediately made me comfortable. So Gabe and I fell in love with this church, and we started going. We started going every weekend. I don't think for the longest time we ever missed a weekend. We started going. We got involved. We looked at the board that they had with all the different classes and things that were going on and we immediately signed up for every class that was out there. 
because we wanted to learn. If, if obviously there's something here that we've been missing all this time, we want to jump in. We want to learn more about it. We want to learn more about Christ, more about ourselves, and let's just jump in. So we jumped in. We started taking uh, discoveries class and, and the newcomers class. We started taking all the different classes, got involved. We got connected. We signed up for Dinners for Eight, which we just had a round of Dinners for Eight, and I think it's going to come up again in the fall. Dinners for Eight, what it did is it connected two people who really didn't see a need for outside friends, really didn't see a need for outside accountability or any kind of church involvement. It immediately placed us with three other couples that would surround us and that we could talk to and that they could talk to us. Godly couples, not just any couple. We got connected with that. We got serious. We started taking a Bible study. Now talk about outside the box. Signing up for a Bible study where we would go to somebody's house once a week and sit down and discuss the Bible. I'm like, wow, that was so far out of the box of what I would be used to. But we got serious about it. You have to get serious. Take that step that's uncomfortable. You can't stay in your comfort zone. And then most importantly, we got anchored we immediately started calling Jubilee our anchor because we were no longer free then because we were accountable to all these other couples. We were accountable to God. We were accountable to each other, but there were people around us. And if we were struggling and we decided, well, well let's, you know what, this is too hard. Let's just give it up. We had people that would come around us and say, that's not what God has for you. They would hold us accountable. And most importantly, though, we made ourselves accountable to that because you're only as accountable as you wanna be. You can join all kinds of groups, you can have all kinds of people, but if you don't share with them when you're struggling, you don't share your struggles, then they go, wow, what happened? They got divorced, but everything was great between them. What happened? It's because they weren't holding themselves accountable, weren't allowing themselves to put it out there. So you're probably sitting here going, oh well, in that case I got it made, because I belong to a small group, I have friends that I've made myself accountable to. We're serious. I'm part of a Bible study. We do all kinds of things. I guess maybe this message isn't for me then. Looks like we got it made. That may not be the case. Here's another bit of, of uh, statistics here. This is a sociology professor. His name is Bradley Wright. And he's doing another major study. And he does an analysis of people who identify as Christians but are nominal Christians. Nominal meaning they go to church once in a while. Don't do too many outside activities. They just call themselves basically church attenders. Of those who identify as Christians but nominally attend church, over 60% of those have been divorced. Okay, average rate for everybody, Christian, non-Christian alike, over 50%. You call yourself a Christian, but rarely go to church and don't get involved in many other ways, over 60%. It's higher. It's higher than the average. Or to use the CDC's actual uh, interpretation of that data, a nominal Christian has a 20% higher chance of divorce than a non-Christian. 20% if you're a nominal Christian than a non-Christian. So if you don't have God in your life at all, never pay attention to God, 
you have a better chance of staying married than if you just come to church every now and then. You know who God is. You pray once in a while, um, whenever you remember to. You read your Bible kind of when somebody tells you to. And you, but you come to church once in a while, or often even. Why is that? Why is it that not having Christ in your life at all makes your life better than someone who is nominal? This is why. Because the enemy hates Christ. He hates Christians, and he hates every good thing that God has created. He hates that. And you're on his radar if you're a Christian. A good marriage is dangerous. A good marriage, a good godly marriage, is dangerous to the schemes of the enemy. The enemy, remember, wants to steal, kill, and destroy. If you have a good marriage, you have a marriage that other people look to and go, wow, they're doing something right. That's really good. That's dangerous. The enemy hates that because then people are going to come to you and say, why is your marriage so good? Well, because we know what God wants for us. The enemy hates that. That's the last thing that he wants. If you have a nominal marriage, and you're struggling, a bad Christian marriage, the enemy will totally leave you alone. That's what he wants. He wants other people to look at you and go, oh, you're a Christian? Your marriage is struggling? Or your marriage is broken? Okay. Then what benefit is there in being a Christian? That's what the enemy wants. He wants people to see bad Christian marriages or struggling Christian marriages. But if things are good, now all of a sudden you're on his radar. Now all of a sudden you're a danger to him and he's gonna start poking at you. The minute that you say I do as a Christian and you hold your marriage up to God, you become bonded to each other. You become bonded. The scripture says that you become literally one flesh. The world doesn't prepare you for that. The world doesn't begin to tell you about how to deal with literally being one flesh with the person that you married. In fact, in marriages a lot of times, you'll hear them just refer to marriage as a contract. It's a marriage contract. A contract that says, whereby the party of the first part, heretofore referred to as bride, is released from responsibility if the party of the second part, heretofore referred to as the groom, fails in his or her obligations, and vice versa. You only have to hold up your part of a marriage if your spouse holds up their part of the marriage. I'll do my part as long as you do your part. And if you don't do your part, guess what? I'm free. I'm free to skate out and just give it up because you failed in your part first. I can in fact say that it's your fault because you're the one that failed first. Guys, that is a lie from the pit of hell and it's not God's design. It's not what God has for you. It's not enough to know what you should do. Let me tell you a little secret. Let me tell you what separates a successful marriage Let's go Christian marriage, a successful Christian marriage and a not successful Christian marriage. Let me tell you what separates a successful business person from a not successful business person. A successful human being versus one who isn't. 
most people know what to do. Most people know what to do. The difference is the successful actually do it. That sounds so easy, guys, but I want you to get this. It's not enough to know what you should do. You have to do it. And that's not always easy. I counsel people all the time about marriage issues, about life issues in general. It's what a pastor does. I do it all the time and I love doing it. But in the vast majority of the time, I'll tell people, well, have you ever read this book? I think this book is great. And they go, oh yeah, I have that book. I've read it. Well, but you're not doing it. Well, what about this? Have you ever thought of doing X, Y, Z? Well, yeah, I, had, I actually had somebody tell me that I, I, sh- I should do that, and it seemed like a good idea. Are you doing it? No, because it's hard. The difference between successful and not successful is that the successful do the hard work. They do what it takes to be successful. You can sit around in a failing marriage, in a failing business, in a failing life, and go, well, I know what I should do. I read the Bible all the time. I listen to messages. I listen to people. I know the things I should do, and someday I'm gonna get around to doing that. That's right where the enemy wants you. So here's another, a DU, this is a sociology professor out of DU, and he's doing another, actually it's in the same, a different section of the marriage study that I talked about before. He says this, that couples with a vibrant religious faith had higher and more levels of the qualities couples need to avoid divorce. And he says this, I quote, the factor making the most difference is religious commitment and practice. Couples who regularly attend church, read their Bibles and other spiritual materials regularly, pray privately and together, and generally take their faith seriously, enjoy significantly lower divorce rates than the general public, significantly lower. And in fact, again, the CDC's data extrapolating from that, a Christian couple that is committed to their faith and practice it regularly and together have a 35% less risk of divorce than the general public. Guys, that's what I want. By the way, a committed and devout Jewish couple, 97% less divorce rate. Now, I'm not advocating any conversions. (laughs) We're not doing conversions today. I thought I just wanted to pass that out to you. Being committed to your faith, committed to your faith, practicing it regularly together. How many people in this room, don't raise your hands, but think about it. How many people pray? Okay, do you pray? Now, if you're a couple, do you pray together? I see a lot of heads nodding, and that's a great thing. Pray together, lift yourself as a couple up to God. So here's how to make your marriage dangerous. I said at first I was gonna talk about how to be dangerous, how to have a dangerous marriage. Here is how to make your marriage dangerous to the schemes of the enemy. First of all, you've heard this in every marriage you've probably ever been to, every Christian marriage that is, Ecclesiastes 4, verse 12. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves in a cord of three strands, 
is not quickly broken. So what does that mean? You hear it all the time. What's it mean? It means that it can't be you here, your spouse here, and God's on a shelf over there for whenever you need him. It can't be you and your spouse are here, you're intertwined, and God's over there, and whenever you need him, you'll go to him. Or whenever you decide that you're in trouble, you'll go to him. Or maybe even just that at the end of every day, we get together and we pray. But during the day, we really don't think about it much. A cord of three strands means there's you, there's God, and then there's your spouse. And if I had another finger, I would do that. I need a visual aid. Weaving God into your marriage to where he is an equal third part of your marriage to where you are so tightly wound with your spouse and with God that sometimes you can't tell the difference from one to the other. It's not just an aside. It's not an emergency kind of thing. God is an integral part of your life. That cord of three strands you ever look at a cable, a steel cable, or even a rope, the tightest, the, the strongest ones are multi-stranded. And the reason for it is because the strands can rely on each other. On your own, by one, not only can you be overpowered, you will be overpowered. Two, at least have a chance of defending themselves. But when you weave God into there and you have that third strand, it can't be quickly broken. Here's another one, another way you can do it. Give praise and credit for your marriage when it's good where it belongs. You have a great marriage. People come to you and say, What's, why is your marriage so good? Don't say, well, we read a lot of books. Or, you know what? We've learned to deal with each other's weaknesses. When he gets home from work, I know not to go anywhere near him for the first half hour. <laughs> Don't say, I know that once a month, I just stay away from my wife. Don't have any contact with her because I know there's nothing I can say that's gonna be right. And that's how we've become successful. Give praise, give credit for your marriage where it belongs. And that's with God because if you have a good marriage, if you have a strong and a committed marriage, that's where it comes from. Make no mistake, it's through no learning that you've done. It's through no well-meaning advice. It's because of God. Now, how about this? Evangelize. Okay, who here thinks of themselves as an evangelist? Not me. I'm not raising my hand. I beat y'all to it. I don't have the personality. I'm not gonna go stand down on a street corner with a bullhorn and, and tell people the good news about Christ. I don't feel led to go to people up at the shopping mall, not often anyway, and start telling them the good news about Christ evangelism is just not, it's just not a gift of mine. I have other gifts, I have other things I do, that's not one of them. But I can evangelize in a great way when people come to me and say, why is your marriage so strong? You hold that up to God. Listen to this, this is Matthew 5, verses 14 to 16. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Like moths to a flame, people are drawn to success. People are drawn to a successful marriage and they're gonna ask you, 
Why is your marriage successful? This is your chance. Lift it up. Gabe and I aren't dangerous because we're in ministry. We're not dangerous because we simply have a good marriage. We're dangerous because whenever we get the chance, we tell people about what God did for us. That's what makes you dangerous. God has taken what the enemy used to try and destroy us and turned it around against him. I love it when he does that. He's got a habit of doing that. Taking what the enemy intended to destroy you and turning it around and throwing it in his face. I want the kind of marriage where the enemy's gonna look at us and say, you know what? I think I'm gonna go mess with them today. Ah, wait a minute. The last time I did that, they beat me and ended up telling 10 other couples about how they beat me. I'm gonna leave them alone. Who wants that? I do. Psalm 108, verse three, finishes with this. With God, we will gain the victory and he will trample our enemies. I want my enemies to be trampled underneath my feet. The enemy of my marriage has no foothold in my marriage. God has given us the way to defeat him. All right, so how do I wrap this up? If I call up the worship team now, guys can get ready to go. One thing as I was putting this marriage together that I absolutely did not want to do is give anyone the impression that it's okay if your marriage is failing. If my marriage is failing, I'll just let it go ahead and fail because look what happened with them. God's going to use it all for good. So I'm not going to work at it. No, guys. I cannot let you think that. I come against any scheme of the enemy right now that would seek to get in your heads and tell you that it's not worth fighting for. Our Lord grieves when what he has put together gets broken. It grieves our God when marriages fail. That is his original plan for us. That is the plan that we should stick to. Don't give the enemy a foothold into your marriage by saying it's okay because it's all going to work out whether I do anything or not because God's going to make it work out. So if your marriage is broken or in trouble, I want you to know it's not too late. It is never too late. God can heal the sick. God can resurrect the dead. I've done marriages for couples that have been divorced for a year and God wouldn't give up and they got remarried. I've done two weddings like that, in fact. God can resurrect the dead. Don't ever give up on what God has for you. If you're single or if you're divorced, make Jesus your priority. Right now is the time to make yourself tight with Jesus. Get with him. Find out his heart for you. Get strong. Get prepared and if you think that a marriage is somewhere in your future, get ready for the spouse that he's preparing for you because he's doing that. Make no mistake, God's not just focused on you. He's looking at the big picture. And if there's someone for you, he's getting them ready for you right now. Now, no one, no one, but God has all the answers on how a marriage should go. No one. But I wanna tell you this, Gabe and I, have a unique perspective on marriage. And I think that we're here with our backgrounds 
to help people who are struggling in that way. So we want to put this out. We talked about this and we want to put this out. We want to make ourselves available to anyone here or anyone that you even know of who would like to sit down and talk to us about if they have any questions about anything I talked about, if they have a marriage that's in trouble, if they just need help getting over a rough spot. Gabe and I grieve so much when we hear about marriages in this church that are failing. And what hurts me the most is when they fail without ever saying anything to anyone. It's like, oh, did you hear that those two got divorced? What? When did that happen? They never talked to anybody. It just happened. My email, bob at jfc.org. Hers is Gabe, G-A-B-E, at jfc.org. Or you can catch us after service and we can set something up. We want to make ourselves available for you because God's got a plan. So would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you so much, Lord, that you are our covering. God, we thank you that we don't have to fight the battles of the enemy on our own, Lord, that you are with us. And if we do nothing more than turn to you and ask for your help, Lord, you come rushing in. Like a father waiting to pick his child up with a skinned knee. You come rushing into our aid, God. And Lord, we just pray then against any scheme that the enemy would use to tell us that we don't need you, that we don't need your advice, that we got it handled. Lord, we want your voice to be the loudest one that we hear. When we're hurting, when we're in trouble, and when times are good. God, we want your voice and your presence to be the overwhelming force in our life. God, we want to feel your presence so real that we know that we know there's someone else in the room with us right now. God, I know that you're in this room tonight and you're feeling that there are marriages in this room that are struggling. I want you to let them know that it's okay to lift it up to you and it's never too late. And Father, I just pray that you use me, use my wife, use anyone else in this room as you feel necessary to help stand with this couple. And if you're single, Father, I just lift everyone who's single or divorced up to you, God. Be with them. Be their second strand. Be their strength. Be their constant companion, Lord. Father, we love you so much. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, as we go into response time, I've got Dan and Sarah Wheeler. They're a couple of our uh, leaders. They're going to be serving communion up here. They have juice. Uh, actually, they've got wine up front and the bread. You just dip the bread in the, in the wine. Take the time to think about what communion means. Communion is not just what we do at the end of a service. Communion is thanking Christ that it's through his blood that we have access to the Father 24-7 and can have his help and can have his coverage on our marriage. Thank him for the sacrifice that he made so that we could have that. We have the candles over here. You could light a candle and say, Lord, I just need you to be the light in my marriage. I need you to shine the light on this couple or this person. Light a candle to that. We have the crosses and the note cards. If you have something, some offense, or something that's hurting your marriage, 
something you're trying to do in your own strength and it's just not working, write it down on a piece of paper and pin it to the cross, lift it up to God, and then leave it there and walk away and wait and see what God can do. Take this time now and respond. That's Jonathan. So I'm gonna invite you if you're comfortable to stand with us, sing along with these songs as you respond in whatever way the Holy Spirit leads you.
just envelop us in your love tonight. Right where we are, God, you love us. And you desire the best for us. You desire things for our good. God, we take this time as we just reflect on your great love for us. God, we just want to love you back. We want to just spend some time adoring you, thanking you.
bless you. God bless you. Hope you have a wonderful, uh, enriched spirit. Uh, I believe just the what God has done today has been wonderful, and we just thank you for worshiping with us. We just want to dismiss you and bless you as you go. Um, the Aaronic blessing is uh, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. Bless you, and we will see you soon.
of the pointer sisters pointing you to Jesus. We'll be here all weekend.